You are listening to the Propaganda Report or watching the Propaganda Report, the Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley, and joining me today to help out and share some insights is Cam Harless of the Mad Ones Podcast. Cam, minus the cowboy hat, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Happy Happy Gay Month. <laughs> oh, is that what it is this month? Is that- yeah, it's 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 Gay Month. You'll you'll notice the um the what's what the the ritual rite of putting rainbows on every corporation's profile picture and all kinds of asinine stuff coming up. Well, you got to get those ESG standards up and anytime you can make a social stand that is acceptable, then you can, then you're certainly going to do that. And June is actually my birthday month as well. So that's what I've always known it as June 9th. Actually, it's coming up. And we also have joining us the Rockfin chat. There's always a Nice chat that goes on during the show. If you want to jump in on that, we're at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Top story today, for me anyway, is that legally manipulated elections in Georgia. It's been confirmed. It is legal. So we'll say that it is illegal that the election was manipulated in Georgia, the the Republican primaries. There's been new data that has come out confirming what I speculated about prior to the Republican primaries in Georgia, which is that due to Georgia being an open primary state, large numbers of Democrats would go to the polls, vote in the Republican primaries in an attempt to make sure that Georgia's secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, keeps his job. And they did. They actually did help him win, which was a surprise that he won the primary because polling data leading up to the election had him losing with the best possible outcome for him being that he ended up in a runoff election because he's not popular among Republicans. And the problem is that That polling data was polling Republicans, and it is, in fact, Democrats that flooded the polls and picked up Raffensperger and carried him to victory. Now, if you're not familiar with Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state of Georgia, the current one who's in that race right now, the mainstream media adores him due to his refusal to support Trump's calls to overturn the 2020 election. And the media frames him as someone who has the guts to stand up to Trump his big lie, and to protect democracy. That's how they talk about Raffensperger. He's definitely a fraud. He's definitely controlled, and he is in charge of the elections. Now, when you're in an open primary state, you can vote on either side, regardless of what your party is. You can't vote in both primaries, though, so there is a risk if you decide to cross over. It's called a crossover vote and vote in the opposing party's primary because you lose the opportunity to vote in yours. However, since Stacey Abrams was running uncontested in her primary, even though she's not an incumbent. <laughs> she already won. She, she did not need all those votes, so everybody could freely go vote in the Republican primary as Democrats and carry especially Raffensperger to victory because that's the one that I believe that they were actually targeting because that they could help out the most. And just to give you an idea of the numbers here that we're seeing, normally in election years, the number of crossover voters for either party is around 1% or less. It's very small. It's usually a strategic vote in an attempt to prevent the a good candidate from winning the opposing party's primary so that your candidate will have a better shot in the general election. So this year, what we had was, based on data, this is out by the AP, more than 37,000 Democrats so far, and this is just so far, and every time I've looked at these numbers, it's gone up, the percentage and obviously the total, but so far 37,000, which is an unusually high number, and it's around 14% of Democrats voted in the Republican primary. Again, 1% is a typical year, 14% this year. And 
you want to compare that to the Republicans that voted in the Dem primaries in this primary season, 1%. So we have 2,600 Republicans that voted in the Democrat primary versus 37,000 Democrats so far that has voted in the Republican primaries. And this is just early data that has come out is expected to be more. And the AP has found that this unusually high number of Democrats voting in the Republican primaries did, in fact, carry Raffensperger to the victory that he enjoyed. Otherwise, he would have been in the runoff had they not had this overwhelming support of Democrats voting as Republicans. Now, my point here isn't to bash open primaries. I don't care about that. Republicans can do it too. The reason this was able to happen is because of a triumph in in propaganda and in censorship. Because we had a coordinated effort for the past couple of years, really, with the mainstream media and the local media that is controlled by the mainstream media to paint Trump's January 6th election challenge effort as a big lie that nobody should talk about, nobody should even touch. And then what we have is we have the local activist groups sending out messages to all of their organizations and all of their people to activate them about the importance of going to vote in the Republican primary because they need to protect Raffensperger because voting for him is voting to protect and save democracy and striking fear in the eyes of all these people. Then you have Abrams team, Stacey Abrams team, literally picking people up in cars and driving them to precincts to go vote for Republicans, driving Democrats to go vote for Republicans, specifically in this case, Brad Raffensperger. And then you have the work of the social media platforms censoring videos from Garland Favrito that were on our channel. I'm sure his channel too on YouTube in the months leading up to the Republican primaries, we had multiple videos of Garland live streams that we did with him where he is just pointing out discrepancies found through a legal process, a legal challenge. Nobody even disputes that discrepancies were found that showed that votes that should have been for Trump went to Biden. Now not saying it was widespread, Voter fraud, just saying it was discrepancies in the vote count. Now, the left says, well, that was just a mistake, and that person's been fired by Raffensperger, who's standing up for democracy. Problem solved. The right says widespread voting fraud. Those videos were removed. We were given multiple strikes on our channel leading up to the election. This is the censorship that is preventing the message that Garland, I mean, that Garland was putting out and that we talked about that Brad Raffensperger is a fraud. He had a number of personal interactions with, with Raffensperger that we talked about in these live streams that the message simply can't get out because you can't talk about that subject. So congratulations, yep. progressive propaganda. Congratulations, YouTube. You have lifted up Brad Raffensperger, the globalist shill who's not even a Georgian and who's probably a CIA agent when you look at his background. <laughs> he remains in control for now of the... The race. He is going to be going up against libertarian Ted Metz. He's running against him. Ted will be a an underdog for sure. I know Ted. He's a good guy. I wish him the best because Raffensperger, he's the worst, man. He's absolutely the worst. I don't know if you know anything about him or have any response to that. I just got really frustrated seeing how, how their efforts worked to help Raffensperger. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the shift in the Russia-Ukraine narrative. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this, but outside of sending money over there every other day, they started talking about Russia and Ukraine like a little bit differently. And the turn that they've taken in the way that they're talking about, and this is just this week, it's taken its cues from Davos panel discussions about the subject as well as CFR panel discussions about what's going on in Ukraine and what to do next. The new 
angle is that they're focusing on how cracks are beginning to appear in the Western Front against Russia's war in Ukraine. And by cracks, what they mean is the split over whether or not to continue shipping more powerful weapons and more money over there to the Ukrainians. Basically, domestic politics, rising inflation, rising housing costs, and all of the other stuff that is making people feel the pain in their pockets at home. These globalists are worried that these domestic splits are going to affect the unity of their international order. And that's how they have been talking about it. And they're trying to figure out what to do about it. How can we make sure we maintain enough support from the public so that people in Congress have the support they need to go ahead and push those those bills across to send more aid and send more money? And this was the subject of a discussion of a CFR panel last night about what exactly to do about this domestic problem? Do they push for negotiation and try to end this sooner before the support and unity falls apart? Do they push for just total annihilation of Russia? What do they try to do? And so I have a clip here of that panel. And speaking in this clip is Richard Haas, the, the globalist head of the CFR, who's been around for a long time, worked closely with many administrations. He is talking with Stephen Hadley, the former NSA advisor. And in this clip, they're discussing the problem of maintaining that support for Ukraine aid packages moving forward and what exactly they think should be done about it. And I'm going to play it for you and then talk about it briefly. I read over the weekend the paper put out by the Heritage Institution. One sees certain uh, Republican members of Congress, oh, I think it was over 50, voted against the $40 billion aid package. Former President Trump essentially said, uh, we ought not to be doing that. We ought to be focusing resources here at home, which is no way as classic isolationism or butter versus gunsism. What is your sense about uh, the American ability to sustain this policy? Yeah, well, you know, I think it, in large measure, it has revitalized in some sense the national security focus of the Republican Party. I think initially uh, there, there was a pretty substantial swing by the congressional leadership and most of its members behind the notion that this is a serious national security challenge for the United States. We need to stand by Ukraine and the like. There has been, with every vote, more Republicans voting nay to the successive arms package. My take from what I read mostly in the newspapers is some of them are about there are elements of the package that the military elements are okay, but there's some economic support elements that people criticize about, that people want to make sure there's oversight, that the money is spent uh, fairly. Part of it is isolationism. There has been an isolationist sentiment in the right wing, uh, right side of the Republican Party and the left side of the Democratic Party, and those will probably grow. But at the moment, I think it is manageable, uh, but I think it will require greater articulation, which is really, Richard, why you wanted to have this session, greater articulation about uh, on the part of the administration about what are our goals and some articulation of a strategy to achieve those goals in a sense that they are realistically achievable. And I think that's uh, where the administration, I think in some sense, they've done a better job of rallying the Europeans to the cause than they have rallying the Americans to the cause. And it's one more thing I think that they need to spend more time on. Okay, now I noticed by your reaction that that's probably the first time you had heard 
the term butter versus guns ism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> so I Googled it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's an economic principle, which is which is interesting because it's not even it doesn't even make sense in this way because right. that's usually talking about like it our defense budget to help us, not some other tiny country across the seas. And right. so it's 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 not even well applied. Like I but yeah, I've never yeah. heard that in my I'd life. I've never heard it either. I looked it up as well, and I have a similar opinion as that, but that's when you bring in the isolationism factor right. that they brought up. And then the America first Republicans and the isolationist on the far left and the far right. And that is a theme that I've seen in a lot of these panel discussions is make sure or can you assure us? This is what they talked about at Davos. This British lady drill, drilled all of these people on, in Congress about this question. Can you assure us that there's not going to be any America firsters who get in control of Congress and through the 2022 elections and mess up all of this, this aid we're sending, basically muck up the international order? So they're taking the perspective of internationalists, globalists, and they are in opposition to these America firsters. And I, I believe that's where we're going to see a lot of the propaganda messaging is going to be targeting these America first groups and probably a lot of stuff about Nazis, probably a lot of January 6th insurrection stuff, probably a lot of domestic terrorism stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if the isolationism starts getting associated with domestic terrorism on both right. the left and the right, because they did say the far left and the far right, as though that's a horrible position to take, to be an isolationist, to not want to go into wars. Like that's really such a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting when they start accusing people who don't want to go to war of, of committing acts of war, domestic terror in their in their own lands. But the thing that really stood out to me about that clip, which is a theme they carried through this whole conversation, was what it will require, which he said, greater articulation about what our goals are and what to do about them. And what he's saying there is propaganda. Essentially, we need to do a better job of propagandizing the public and those in Congress so that they see it our way and then agree to do what we are planning to do anyway. And with that said, Richard Haas here, he brings up an example of how difficult it can be to, to maintain that support, enough support to get enough of the public to support a war so that Congress can then vote to support a war. And he draws a historical parallel with a time back in 1990 when George Bush, number one, had to take on a similar effort to go around and win support for a war. And I want to see if you know what I'm getting at leading up to this. You might, because I think I might have teased yep. it to you before the show. But I'm going to play this clip, and then we'll talk about it. This is Richard Haas drawing a historical parallel to the difficulties that are going to come in the near, near weeks and months in maintaining support for Ukraine moving forward. At the end of the day, we nearly failed with the Congress. Well, that's the end of the clip. Let's we'll start with the beginning of the clip. One thing that comes to mind, we learned it the hard way in 1990, after the Iraqi invasion of uh, Kuwait, is how often President Bush 41 had to go out and essentially put more fuel on the fire to maintain popular support for what was then Desert Shield. We weren't even in the war yet. We were still in the building up. And we were surprised how often he had to do it and how difficult it was. If he said the same thing, people said, oh, that's nothing new. And if he said anything new, people would say, what's going on? The policy had changed. And it turned out to be a, a real challenge, almost a dilemma. 
as to how to keep the Congress and the people and American people involved. And at the end of the day, we nearly failed with the Congress. It was a very close run thing in the, in the Senate. I found it interesting that he pointed out that they nearly fa failed and it was a very close vote because the incident that he's talking about, the very message that he is talking about is the Nahari testimony about the babies in incubators. The girl who was 15 years old, who back in 1990, she testified to Congress and during her testimony, she told a, a heartbreaking story, tears in her eyes about the enemy coming in and ripping babies out of incubators and throwing them on the floor. And this story was what George Bush told at every single gathering, every single rally he went to, to win that support. And there was a study done that found that Congress, there's enough members of Congress that would not have voted for that war, to support that war, if not for that story. Now, that story turned out to be fake. It turned out to be a script written by Hill and Knowles PR agency, and the girl who told the story was the daughter of an ambassador of uh, Kuwait, maybe the United States. Yeah. Ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing was, she wasn't who she said she was. She wasn't there. She didn't see anything. She said she saw it was all written. It was all scripted. It was funded by a propaganda organization. And it was used by the president of the United States to win support from Congress and from the public. And they ultimately went over there. And it's just interesting to me that Richard Haas tells that story of how difficult it was. I mean, he knows, he knows that yeah. he's talking about this, fake testimony that was proven to be a lie that two years later they discovered all of this yet he's saying this is the type of effort that we need and it was difficult so i think that we're going to see more of that i think yeah. we are going to see a nahara like testimony in front of congress maybe in front of an international organization that is tear-filled telling these specific instances of the horrible things that russia has done to ukraine and that that will be used to continue to try and pressure people and win them emotionally to support what's going on here. I do have a quick montage of the Nahara testimony. It's about two minutes that I think it's worth watching because when you watch it back, you see some of the parallels. You see the way they're talking about that because they're talking about this Russia-Ukraine thing in the exact same way. Some of the language is almost identical. Here it is. Again, this is a montage because it's too long by itself. My mother and I were in Kuwait on August 2nd for a peaceful summer holiday. My older sister had a baby on July 29th, and we wanted to spend some time in Kuwait with her. I only pray that none of my 10th grade classmates had a summer vacation like I did. My sister, with my five-day-old nephew, traveled across the desert to safety. There was no milk available for the baby in Kuwait. The pause there. Does that sound familiar? No milk available for the baby? Yep. It's the second week after invasion, I volunteered, volunteered at the Aladan Hospital with 12 other women who wanted to help as well. I was the youngest volunteer. The other women were from 20 to 30 years old. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators. the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. <laughs> it was horrifying. I could not help but think of my nephew, who if born premature might have died that day as well. I saw him talk to a friend of mine after his torture and released by the Iraqis. He is 22, but he looked as though he could have been an old man. 
The Rackies dunked his head into a swimming pool until he almost drowned. They pulled out his fingernails and applied electric shock to sensitive private parts of his body. He was lucky to survive. I sped some of that up because it takes long. That's why she's talking a little yeah. bit faster there. But notice the, <laughs> the details of that torture there. That's kind of similar to some of the things we're hearing about what Russia, what they're doing to civilians in Ukraine. Right. Rape I'm glad I'm 15, old yeah. enough to remember Kuwait before Saddam Hussein destroyed it, and young enough to rebuild it. Thank you. But we have never heard, in all this time, in all circumstances, a record of inhumanity and brutality and sadism as the ones that the witnesses have given us today. Sadism. We hear that word thrown around a lot when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. I don't know how the people of the civilized countries of this world <laughs> can fail to do everything within their power to remove this scourge from the face of our earth and to all countries of the world who must join together and take whatever action may be necessary to free the people of Kuwait from this aggression and brutality. I just realized that happened on my birthday, my second birthday. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Well, happy, <laughs> happy birthday. So you share, yeah, the anniversary of the Nuhara testimony. Yep. Of course, you came before that. You're, you were just yeah. two when that happened. Yep. Now you're a youngin, Cam. I'm a young. Well, so there you go. That that to me, I think, is foreshadowing what we're going to see because that testimony for those who just who just popped in was staged. It was scripted. It wasn't real. She was not there. Nothing she said. She, she didn't see anything that she said. And that was used in the story that Richard Haas told by George Bush to win support for that war. Only it was found out to be created by a public relations firm, Hill and Knowles. So look for something similar to that. All the language is the same. It's uncanny or it's crazy how they just they, they use these same tactics over and over again. Yet the media is able to uh, blind us to it by overwhelming us with information by demonizing anybody who suggests that this could be a similar incident a propaganda incident by calling them right wing calling them nazis whatever that's what's coming all of these think tanks are talking about that how do we how do we make sure we maintain unity well you shut up the people who can say things that might that might cause you to not have it like the election challenge group or the conspiracy theorists and then you just Put people out there talking about dead babies. That's that's basically your formula, time tested. All right. So one of the things that when you when you mentioned what you know, you said the the conversation about Ukraine is going to change, and I did notice. You know, they've been doing the rape as a weapon talk for a while now, but yeah. I one of the things that popped into my mind was that for the longest time, they've been talking about this war like Ukraine is heroically fighting them off and Russia is failing, Russia's not doing much at all, etc. Yet yeah. I see that uh, Lord Voldemort Zelensky um, gets on – gets says I, I think this was this came out today that uh, Russian for forces have seized 20% of the country's territory. What a fifth. So all of a sudden, uh, R Russia's really kicking butt. And, and I, I have a, if you want to share my screen, I brought up the, the map that was in that, that article that I read and they make this look so much worse than they've been trying to make it out. Cause I mean, look at, look at how pathetic Ukraine has been. Look at the only thing held or re regained by Ukraine is this little tiny blue sliver and you have Russia coming in. So they're, they're shifting away from this Ukraine. We're strong. We're doing it to 
were starting to fail. The United States is going to send them armed drones and, and high precision missiles and it is changing. Yeah, they're trying to balance that out. But yes, you're exactly right. That is exactly what they said in this panel discussion. It was, look, Ukraine started off good, but Russia is now doing better. And it basically got down to the point of here's what's going to happen. We have support. We are giving them money. We're giving them weapons right now. But this war is going to continue going on for it seems like indefinitely the way that they talk about it. And the longer it goes on, the more likely that that united front is going to shatter and that people are going to start worrying more about themselves and get tired of all that. They even compared it to a four hour long movie when people are like, all right, it should have been an hour and a half. I'm not interested anymore. And they are talking about what are we going to do to to help support ukraine with weapons and money because they have no chance against russia that's basically what they talked about in that hour-long panel discussion they have no chance without our continued support so how can we propagandize the public and do supporting people and denver here in the live chat said groupthink and neuro linguistic programming had hard-coded to their playbook they it piggybacks on branding and mark yes exactly neuro linguistic programming they actually talk about this in one of the chatham house panel discussions I, i watched the other day where they were they they said very clearly, they said, we all know how easy it is to create temporary group identity around a certain issue. And they were talking about this issue of supporting Ukraine. And they said, so temporarily right now, it's easy for us to create that group identity. But as things go on, they're talking about the same subject. It's going to be harder and harder to do that. So they're seeing the limits of their propaganda, which I think is a positive thing. And now they're trying to figure out how to extend it, extend the limits of that propaganda. So they're admitting in a lot of ways that they're failing. One of these panel discussions, which I'm going to play this clip in the XR, but the guy's talking about what to, he, he draws a parallel to a, a fictional story. And the parallel he's, he's drawn to is the collapse of the international global order. I mean, as far as he's concerned, it's collapsing around them. And they're also talking about what they can do about it. I do have another clip that I do want to play for you just because I would like to see what your reaction is to this. I played this in the XR yesterday, but it's just such an interesting clip to me. This is at a panel discussion also about the Ukraine-Russia war, but the question from the person in the audience is about how come America can get away with things that other countries can't? That's basically the question, and I'll let you hear what the guy's answer is. The guy talking is, he's a doctor at, I don't know, he's a professor at some university. He's one of these globalist think tankers. He's at the Chatham House all the time. All right, here we go. Well, let's make sure. President Bush during. That's the wrong one. The changes in the international arrangements that should have, or that should be done after the Ukraine. Listen, I'm talking about having a reference line of what is wrong and what is right, because you cannot in in one moment say that what happened, the invasion in Iraq or Afghanistan, or even the the Russian invasion in, in, in Syria is right, and you can say like silent about it or support it or even support it. And the other day you come to see that, to say that the Russian invasion to Ukraine is wrong. So what should, how we can build a reference line that we should measure and make actions according to. All right, so that's his question. That's his question, and here is the response. It's interesting, it's also a question that I got often asked by my students. Like, why is America allowed to invade Iraq and, you know, and Russia is not? 
Like, why are we behaving differently? Um, why is different? Why are we talking differently about it? Um, why are we taking different actions? And I think uh, one thing that came to mind when you asked this question was uh, John Mersheimer. And John Mersheimer said, in a, in a world where there is anarchy and there is, um, and I. I'm aware that it's controversial to bring John Mertheimer into this. Castle. I'm using a quote. Um, he said, in a, in, a, in a situation where there's anarchy and nobody trusts each other, you'd rather be Godzilla than Bambi. Mean he said, what he said there is, Godzilla, you'd rather be Godzilla yeah. than Bambi. That unfortunately, or that's just the way it is, um, we say all states are equal because there's no power above the states. But matter of fact, some states are more powerful than others. And the US is one of the most powerful countries or players among all the states. And yes, that's why they have or can get away with things that other states may not. Um, I usually tell my students, not the Godzilla and, and Bambi version, but imagine if, if you could choose to be a country in a, in a world where nobody trusts each other, would you want to be the US or Monaco? The US. Yeah, you but, but most likely want to be the US. Yes, because they are the US. And, and if Monaco says, hey, we're going to attack some other country, we all find it super funny because they don't have the power and the standing to execute what if they want to have more power in some countries too. I just want to add that at the end of the story, Bambi survives and Godzilla is, dies. So I don't know. I, I have That's an interesting point she makes there at the end. <laughs> what do you think about that? It's just an open admission that it's to something that I think most people know anyway, but you yeah. don't often hear it spoken that out in the open like that. Yeah, well, it's it, it's it's something that you could see they were afraid to actually say, because they mentioned they mentioned anarchy in like a, we don't want to talk about that. But you, if you think about how countries relate to each other, it is anarchic. There is no centralized authority over countries, and so everything is is based on cooperation and voluntary agreements and stuff. And I, I think it's interesting that they're like. They're scared to say that, but at the same time, they're also not scared to say that, you know, the United States can be Godzilla and Monaco's screwed. <laughs> right. And the comparison the guy made in the question to the Russian invasion of Ukraine is like, OK, now everybody's mad where there's war. They're getting war criminals out of this. There's an international investigation. I've heard a similar talk in some other really obscure think tanks that are on at like 3 a.m., like UN live streams where they will talk about it a little bit, but that video tends to disappear. But <laughs> people are going to be con getting convicted of war crimes. Yeah. And what this guy's wondering is, well, didn't America do that when they went in there? Right. So how do we know? And then it, part of the another question he asked is about, okay, and what about the, the UN Security Council? We have, if Russia's a devil, we have a devil in the council. What, what do we do about that? It just sees these contradictions, the hypocrisy that has come to light is it's interesting that they almost have to talk about it now because more and more people recognize it. I think the strat the strategy then is to justify it, is to do the 
the ends justify the means tactic. The right. yes, we're propagandizing you. Yes, we're lying to you, but it's for your own good. And you should be happy that we are. You should su- support us in our lies to you. And you should lie to other people as well for the sake of democracy. Right. For the for the for the sake of the the being one with your community for the collective. Right. For solidarity um, with Ukraine, you should lie. Let us lie to you and lie to others. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. <laughs> I I had a question for you. Did you follow the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard court case at all? I did not. Did you see any clips from it or anything I like that? I saw some of the memes of, of Johnny Depp charming the, the jury and laughing at stuff that Amber Heard said during her testimony. Um, well, I, I don't know if anyone on that watches this show cares about this, uh, but that did that distraction from what's going on in the world finally came to a close. And uh, they the jury ruled in favor of Johnny Depp. And so they awarded him. Uh, they said that she absolutely defamed him. She he ran the, the table and uh, they they wanted um they said that he, he she owes him ten million dollars in compensatory damages and five million dollars in punitive damages. But in Virginia, there's a cap on punitive damages at three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So they can't it's it's just, you know, ten million, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Amber Heard only won one uh, part of the defamation, which was from something that Johnny Depp's lawyer said. And so there were no punitive damages that she won, but she did win $2 million in compensatory damages. So she only owes him $8,350. Well, so that's, that's over. But I, if you haven't seen this, I did want to share a clip for you okay? because, because uh, they, the team, the legal team that did this, that handled Amber Heard's side of the case was so dumb and they they brought in an expert witness a psychiatrist in order to impeach johnny's mental health and to say that he's slow and to to say that he's um he 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 doesn't think quickly he doesn't say that he's a pirate right and this guy literally said well i looked at his movies and i looked at some of the times he's talked in depositions and clearly he's slower and Johnny Depp's lawyer was like, are you trying to tell us that you're basing his mental health and mental acuity on movies that he's been in? Not actual conversations, but movies. Yeah. And so so the 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 lawyer makes fun of this this psychiatrist and says, well, did you check? Did you check um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? (laughs) <laughs> to see if that if 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 that worked but here's the clip this was he asked him this question and this is how this well-regarded psychiatrist reacted to that question just watch this all right is that, do i have to answer that question your honor you have to answer questions yes sir <laughs> It the looks like he's eating like a, a, an invisible hot dog or something like that. That was <laughs> that was strange. It's that was, bizarre, and I could watch it a million times. I wonder if that was the real reaction. If for those who are just listening, the guy on the stand started like chopping his lips as though he were trying to chew on something that was really large. It was it was strange. It was like it was a, he was eating something invisible, and somebody else was feeding it to him. And Johnny Depp, I don't know if this was his actual reaction to that moment, but Johnny Depp 
looks up, leans up, and then it says on the screen like what the f or something like that. Dude, so, and, and it the was, meme. There are some funny memes for sure. Oh, like that's the thing. This 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 whole trial was obviously a distraction for the people to have some entertainment in the middle of every crisis they're throwing at us all at once, monkeypox, and all of yep. this. Um, but it was there are so many good moments where that Amber Heard's team were so stupid. And I think the funniest part is there are two men who were well-regarded psychiatrists named Dr. David Spiegel. That's the, that guy's name. And there's a theory out there that she had asked uh, the Ellen or whatever, the, the, the primary lawyer for Amber Heard asked for a recommendation for a psychiatrist. And they said, Dr. David Spiegel. And she chose the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's very funny. All right. Uh, I just, see a couple I just needed here. you to see that. I just needed yeah, you no, to that's, see that's that. Yeah, that's great. I'll leave, leave that, send me the link of that and I'll put it in the show notes so people can watch it. It says, uh, David says he must have had some of the jar of dirt. Yeah, he must have been chewing jar of dirt. Cornelius Wolfshirt says he's eating his words. It certainly looked like he's eating his words. And then we had a couple of comments about that clip a moment ago. Uh, I think it looks like a couple of people think it might have been scripted, like it was a setup to a punchline. It looks like any word says sounds like a, a setup story to get in a punchline. Right. And then David said that was peculiar how she said that. Was it scripted? It probably was. He, she probably they probably talked about what they were going to talk about. And they probably were aware of some of the questions that were going to be asked because the person who asked the question is also a Chatham House member. So that's something worth uh, thinking about as well. It wasn't like a random person in from, the, from the streets. It was one of their own presenting the question. But all right, in the DM or in the XR, we're going to talk about what another globalist, like I said earlier, what he says about this collapsing international order that's falling down around him and what he proposes to reunify. It's an interesting clip. And then maybe we'll talk about some virtual children and maybe Vanderbilt's new course of study. We'll see how far we go. We have a lot of stuff to cover there. Join us on Rockfin next week. It'll be on Thursday. The time is up in the air still. We're testing different times. That's, that's, what, uh, that's what I'll say for now. That's my claim. <laughs> and uh, if you want to join Rockfin, go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report where you can get access to these live streams as well as the other shows that we do on Rockfin, the video shows that are interactive with live chat. And also we do these think tank panel discussion deconstructions. And when you sign up to Rockfin, what you get along with your subscription, you get the DMB XR ad free every single day. And you also get every day that we do a DMB. And you also get the content of all the creators on Rockfin, which includes Whitney Webb, The Mad Ones, Sam Tripoli, Legit Bat, lots of great content on here. It's all for $9.99. Subscribe to our channel today at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And that's it. I'm going to end with that pitch for Rockfin there. And then we will talk about this other stuff. We'll continue this conversation in the XR. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform of the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.